I am British, so I feel I should apologize for the accent. <laughs> and probably for all that unpleasantness in 1776 as well. Um, however, there is a seismic shift going on in low-skilled workforces worldwide. Can we throw the slide up? Uh, and uh, for once, it's something the British government has taken a lead on, uh, and we are now working to open source the technology, the learning that came out of that to other countries. California is a particular focus, and San Diego is of enormous interest, so I'm delighted to be here today. The seismic shift is in the way that if you, have, uh, a low, if you are low-skilled, your chances of getting a steady nine-to-five job with benefits and progression and regular hours are diminishing. And there's various drivers of that. So we all know about Uber, as Andy mentioned. Uh, there are thousands of platforms like Uber that just allow workers uh, to list themselves, and then you just take your chance on whether you get some work or not at times you're available. Much bigger than that is what's happening in the corporate world. So across San Diego today, there were people who are corporate employees in retail, hospitality, construction, leisure, all sorts of sectors who woke up waiting for a text telling them whether to come in to work today or not, coming from their, their employer's scheduling system. And of course, if they're not needed, they've still got to put food on the table tonight. They've got to find extra hours somewhere else. But the really big numbers in this kind of employment, in people who are just not, don't know when they're working, don't know uh, what they'll be earning, not protected, and so on. The really big numbers are in cash under the table working. So the World Bank estimates that the US shadow economy is now 10% the size of GDP. We, will, we all know about the precipitous fall in uh, participation in the formal labor market. This is where a lot of them are going. Uh, and that's bad news in just all sorts of ways. So that's the kind of demand side. There's all sorts of fundamentals underneath this. Uh, but we in Britain have looked at the supply side. Um, and broadly, we see it in three categories. If you have a medical problem that comes and goes day to day, if you have complex parenting needs, if you're a caregiver, if you're a student on low income, you can have woken up this morning not knowing whether you can work today. You'll have to decide after lunch if your back pain goes away, if you get your assignment done, if your parents can go to the daycare centre so you don't need to look after them. People are often surprised at the extent to which people want to work this way, particularly the young. I've been in focus groups where 20-somethings have talked about having a traditional low-skilled job as a sort of weird 20th century construct, like having a fax machine or something. Why on earth would I want to do that? Of course I want lots of employers competing for my time. I want to build the networks, the skills, uh, and the progression opportunities that come from doing a good job for lots of different people. That is the store manager's view of the Kronos Workforce Central 8 scheduling tool launched September 2016. Where it's showing red, it's saying to the store manager, you've got too many workers in the shop right now relative to the people coming through the door. Start sending them home, and Kronos will start texting the ones who think they're coming in later to tell them they're not. So there is a huge demand for this kind of work. There is a huge supply of people who want or need to work in this very irregular way. What's the problem here? And I do come across people who say, well, sounds great. you know." That, so you don't have a boss, you're, you're your own boss, you're in charge. And the phrase free agent comes up a lot. And the, 
the wheels have just been progressively coming off that wagon over the last few years. Two years ago, you began to see the first wave of closures of these uh, gig work platforms. Homejoy was one, thousands of Americans were cleaning homes through it. Overnight, it shuttered, taking the, uh, the workers' track record, their immediate flow of work, their relationship with employers with them. Last year, uh, Uber, it obviously wasn't gonna be too long before we talked about Uber, uh, lovable as ever, they just unilaterally slashed the driver pay rates which uh, went down very well with investors, their, their valuation went up, so other gig work platforms started doing the same. And if you're sitting there thinking, that's why I use Lyft. <laughs> they did it first. It's possible that commoditizing the workers and pushing them down is not a sort of aberration by a few bad guys in this world. It's possible it's the business model if you can control one of these new labor markets, it's extraordinary the power you can wield uh, and your attractiveness to investors. And we're just this year beginning to scratch the surface of how these workers are managed. So if you instinctively think, oh, a worker has a few bad days, so a manager will kind of give them a little pep talk and write them off, forget it. This workforce is summoned and managed by algorithms and we're just beginning to understand what's going on. So this is a pretty bleak world for a lot of people. Uh, and I don't want to go on about this because there isn't really time, but it could be uh, a great new world. There could be all sorts of opportunity from working on your own terms across lots of people, but it doesn't seem to be happening at the moment. So this was a particular problem in Britain because by American standards, we have quite a generous welfare state. You can actually live on welfare for your whole life in Britain. Uh, and I know that's quite a shock to Americans. Um, but a lot of these people could work uh, and very often want to work, but they've got to do it on their own terms. They can't slot into a regular part-time or full-time job. So we set out to help those people uh, into the labor market. And the first thing we had to do was convince everyone, this isn't going to kill jobs. If you make the irregular labor market work better, it's not going to be a sudden migration by employers out of traditional employment for all sorts of reasons. Happy to go into that in more detail. So the first thing we did is come up with a list of all the interventions you could do to support this workforce. And there's dozens. You can have fair scheduling acts. You can uh, have micro-apprenticeships. You can have training in different sort of gig platforms. But we were looking for the foundational issue. What's at the absolute root here? And the answer to that is quality of marketplace. So if you're in a job, you typically in and out of the labor market every few years when it's time to move on. In this world, you can be in and out of the labor market several times a day. And the way that market is constructed, whose interests it serves, its breadth and its depth, the overheads it extracts, the facilities it gives you, the data it shares with you, that's what determines your life chances. Uh, and any market for this sort of world is going to have to be based on technology. These are among the most complex, subjective, regulated transactions imaginable. So with that insight, we start with a blank sheet of paper. What would a healthy labor market uh, look like here if it was based around economic growth and, and uh, employment opportunity rather than profit extraction and so on? Um, and Broadly, you want everyone to be able to have the option to sell the hours of their choosing on their own terms across as many different types of work as they wish with all the data they need to progress between them. So uh, at the moment, if I'm doing deliveries on, let's say, uh, DoorDash or Postmates or um, Grubhub, 
I'll be doing deliveries in a year's time. There's no progression in the market. But maybe there's a real shortage of I don't know, carpet layers. Uh, where I live, at the area I'm willing to travel, at times I want to work. I have no visibility of that, no route to becoming a carpet layer, no possibility of upskilling. So it's got to handle all that on the worker side. It's got to be hyper convenient for the employers, uh, be, uh, and they've got to be able to run their own pools of vetted, approved, possibly inducted workers, uh, because you're competing with the shadow economy there. You've got to have uh, the potential for labor market intermediaries that act as employer of record, uh, uh, vet and payroll people. Uh, you've got to prorate the uh, benefits and so on. The whole thing's got to be legally compliant. It's got to output all its data. And it's got to be really low overhead. That's not a sizzling Silicon Valley investment opportunity. That's a kind of labor market run as a public utility, which sounds a really odd idea, except every state in the US already does it. Hello, Cal Jobs. Now, I'm not here to talk about the design or the uh, functionality of Cal Jobs, um, but I would like to flag the ethos of Cal Jobs and all the other state uh, job uh, markets. CalJobs is not trying to lock out the competition, it's not trying to lock in the worker, it's not trying to impose secrecy, it's not trying to extract maximum profit, it's just there to lubricate the labor market, make sure everyone has the most, uh, the, the widest range of opportunity possible, it's not trying to kill off the commercial uh, labor markets, they, many of them build services on top of CalJobs. If you took that ethos and extended it out of traditional employment into all types of hourly work, then life gets really exciting. Uh, and I was hoping to show you just how exciting, because um, with funding from Walmart Foundation, uh, we've had a team of technologists Americanizing the platform that was built to do this in Britain. Um, and uh, after a few sleepless nights and uh, kind of to the wire deadlines, we were going to unveil the American technology to you as the first audience today. Unfortunately, the Wi-Fi in this building is a bit dodgy. So. <laughs> That is how progress works. Um, however, broadly, um, what will interest you as educators is the way it, it runs off what are called checks. So I'm a worker, I can have an infinite array of checks, and a check could be uh, some sort of credential. So for instance, uh, my, it ranges from my school, uh, my high school has given me a certificate saying he's good with pets. We've, we've taught him how to look after a pet through to a college degree. Uh, and it's constantly building on these checks with what are called roles, and a role is a type of work, and it can be employer-specific, uh, working a, a, a till at Walmart, through to a very general O-net, being a hospital orderly. Uh, and then uh, I list the hours I want to work today, tomorrow, or weeks ahead, or I can have rolling patterns of availability. The employer can see how many people are available <coughs> for their specific role, and it does all sorts of things. Um, and what these markets can do when they get to depth, as in get to maturity in somewhere like San Diego, is quite extraordinary. And uh, we sort of don't have time to, to talk about it, but one thing that, that always interests educators is if you run a high school uh, and you want your sort of 14 through 16-year-olds to get a bit of a taste in the labor market, you can run what we call a ring-fenced market. So you can approve local families, local businesses, uh, you can set a rule that says your kids can only work Friday evenings and Saturday mornings at one of the approved places. It's got to be approved by uh, one of your teachers. Uh, and these kids can start selling their time. And they're building a track record. And when they graduate from school, you can open that into the much wider market. So uh, what we learned, well, the first thing we learned is 
that this is an incredibly politically contentious area. Uh, our work was funded by various government departments while being opposed by DWP, Department of Work and Pensions, which is our equivalent of USDOL, who took the view publicly that uh, government should only be in the business of creating quality jobs, not working with hourly work, uh, and internally took the view that our technology systems are so bad they can't interface with anything uh, like this. Um, but what we learned as local governments sort of defied uh, central government in launching is this. So this is data from a market launch in one of the boroughs in London. They absolutely recognised they had a problem with this workforce. Uh, and they encouraged local intermediaries to vet people, start feeding them into the market. The market was in all the intermediary websites. It was on the council website. I can't remember how they branded it. First week, they had 18,000 hours of citizen availability for work. They had 70 hours of bookings from employers. Second week, they were up to 150 hours of bookings, but they were down to 12,000 hours of availability because people were saying, well, I didn't get booked. What a waste. I'm walking away. Uh, and those two lines converged remorselessly until the bookings had crept up to about 500 hours a week. But by that point, you only had about 40 people left in the market. And you can't recover from that dynamic. Um, so you have to launch it with some sort of scale. So um, we were a bit slow learning this, if I'm honest. But uh, this is uh, the, what came out of it. It's a manual about how to launch one of these markets. If you're going to launch in uh, San Diego, we would recommend don't even think about turning the market on until you've got a minimum $2.5 million worth of demand for this kind of labor committed over the first 12 months. So this leads to a project that we call market making, which is about basically about going around the big employers, because they're the ones with the big pots of demand, and saying, will you commit to a public market for this kind of work before it is launched? Uh, because that uh, enables a first bunch of, uh, first wave of workers to start proving themselves uh, and selling their hours to those employers, and then you open it to other employers, and the flywheel starts to turn. So this, this is a kind of fringe idea uh, on the edges of the American workforce system. The workforce system, as we all know, is traditionally very grounded in creating traditional jobs built around traditional credentials. Um, and the, the, this, the shift to irregular work for low-skilled workers is, is now undeniable. It doesn't show up in the BLS data, which is a nightmare um, at every step, but the indicators are overwhelming. Uh, Government Accountability Office have highlighted estimates that 33% of the workforce are now doing this kind of work, uh, with more to come. So with philanthropic funding, uh, there has been a project uh, across the US with workforce boards uh, saying, what about doing something for this workforce? Uh, because the workforce networks are so well-placed, have such leverage to do something. And uh, it was when I started hearing about San Diego in trips on, to all these other workforce boards that I began to sense this might be somewhere we want to focus. And it was when I was uh, in a session organized by the chief executive of the Massachusetts Workforce Board where someone said, do you know what they're doing in San Diego? that I kind of thought, okay. Uh, so yes, uh, as Andy alluded, you were, the, as far as I'm aware, the first workforce board in the country to look into this. Uh, and uh, it's very exciting. Um, we would love to uh, work with you to look at whether you could start a market with the newly Americanized technology platform that we want to open source but can't actually show you because we don't have Wi-Fi. Um, and you uh, and your students would be the, among key beneficiaries of such a market, but you're not in a position to start it. You have to get the big employers on board. 
Um, but it's worth doing because life for irregular workers is something that so many of your students are going to experience, whether they want to or not. It can be pretty horrible, but we can change that.